0: Well, this morning is part two of our, our dive into this, this doctrine of, of Christ's descent into Hades. So if this is your first time here or you haven't been for a while, what we've been doing over the last couple months is, during the summer really, is we've been taking the Apostles' Creed that we've been saying together and breaking it down line by line and showing from the Scriptures why each one of these phrases is biblical, is from the scriptures, and, and talking about what the scriptures teach. And last week we begun looking at the phrase in the creed, He descended to the dead. If you missed that, um, some of this sermon will be a little bit harder to understand, but you can go back and listen to it. But there will be plenty to gather here. And so what we began last week is, is looking at this idea, this question, where was Jesus Christ's soul between his death, he died on Friday on the cross, and his resurrection, he rose on Sunday. Where was Jesus when he was dead? We don't often talk about this, and so we be, began to explore last week what the Old Testament had to teach us about the afterlife and about the different realms. We saw last week from the Old Testament and the New Testament this this understanding of the afterlife that unfortunately is, is very different from ours today. We understood that there's there's really two realms. There's the visible realm, the physical realm, we understand that, and the invisible realm, the, the spiritual realm. In the invisible realm, there's two. We talked about this idea of a three-tiered kind of understanding of the universe, there's the heavens where God and his angels dwell, the throne room of God. We showed that from Scripture. And then we understood that there is this realm that's that's called many things in Scripture. It's, it's identified by the name Sheol or Hades. You think about it as the underworld because in Scripture it's always talked about as under, although, again, it's not a physical place, so it's not literally under the earth. We talked about how there's this idea that everyone in the Old Testament went to the grave. They all went to Sheol. It was the realm of the dead. Good and bad people ended up in the same place, although they experienced different things there. The righteous experienced rest. The wicked experienced torment. And we saw some passages from Scripture last week that even described this, this deepest, darkest place where fallen angels were imprisoned waiting for the judgment. Again, we, we spent the whole time kind of looking at that last week, so if that just seems like a lot, I would encourage you to go back. But, but this morning, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to talk about this descent, and, and we're going to dive into the New Testament texts that reveal this idea to us that Christ didn't just disappear between Friday and Sunday, but he was in Hades, and he was there for specific reasons. And then we'll explore how this applies to our life. Really, this, this doctrine is one of the things that grounds the confession that we just made that Christ is our hope in life and in death. So what does the creed mean when it says that he descended to the dead? This is what it means. It means that when Jesus Christ, the God-man, truly God and truly man, died on the cross, means that he truly died. His, his body was placed in the tomb for three days. His soul descended into the realm of the dead. Sheol or Hades. There, because he was the God man and death could not hold him, he liberated the righteous dead. He conquered death and Hades itself, and he proclaimed his victory over sin, over Satan, over death, over all wickedness. But he didn't stay there. He was resurrected. He was resurrected from the dead. He was resurrected. From among the dead ones, and he ascended to the Father in glory, where he entered into the heavenly temple. Hebrews tells us, and where he now sits, ruling and reigning over all, and praying for us and making intercession for us as our great high priest. This is what we confess when we confess that he descended to the dead. And if it's your first time really thinking about this idea, uh, it sounds strange. We have done, as, as evangelicals, a poor job of understanding this doctrine. Most times, we've just ignored it, which is why we're going to spend some time this morning really digging into the New Testament and, and seeing where the grounding of these ideas comes from. We're just going to walk through some of the New Testament texts. And, and the funny thing is, I'm sure if you've been a Christian for any time and you've studied the Bible, these are texts that you've probably read before, but you've probably missed this idea in them. This is what I had done. I had never really heard this much about it, but the more that I understood about it and the more that I studied it, the more I saw it's been right here the whole time. It will become much more obvious. And let me just say as well, as as we begin this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at at a, a wide breadth, breadth of text this morning, and so it's a bit more of a survey. So each one of these texts has so much more we could say about it. Um, and so if you have any questions about it, I would encourage you to come talk to me. Many of you have already uh, came up to me after last week and asked really good questions. And, and so uh, we are always here. So send me an email, come talk to me after. I'd love to talk to you more about these things. Like I said last week, this, this doctrine is one that, that can be described like a labyrinth. Every time you feel like you have an answer, it opens up two more questions that you may have. But but I want to start this morning uh, by, by, by this question. Did Jesus ever say anything about this idea, about his descent? I mean, right, if we're going to look at the New Testament, it would seem like the natural place to start, right? Did Jesus ever talk about this idea? Did he ever foreshadow this idea that he would descend into Hades? And the answer is yes, is yes. Now remember, think back to the language that we talked about last week, the, the language that was commonly used to dis- to describe Sheol. It's always under the earth, the depths of the earth, beneath the earth. And kind of with that in your mind, uh, let's look at Matthew 12, 39 through 40. I'll have it on the screen. You can turn there with me as well. Matthew 12, 39 through 40. Now again, this isn't the main point of the text, but, but look at what Jesus says. The Pharisees had asked him for a sign. They want a miraculous sign. They want Jesus to display some marvelous display in the heavens of his power. Here's his answer to them. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Okay, so think of the story of Jonah in your mind. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay, so, so again, given what we learned last week, heart of the earth is clearly a reference to the underworld, to Sheol, to the grave, to Hades. Now, now if, that, if that's kind of all we had, if we just had this saying of Jesus here in Matthew, that would be enough, but, but there's, there's a little bit more to this text than meet the eye, because again, if you know the story of Jonah, you might kind of pick up where I'm going with this. When Jonah is swallowed by the whale, he, he prays, and when he prays, look at the language that Jonah uses. He describes his experience being in the whale metaphorically as being in Sheol. Jonah says in Jonah 2.2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, and in the Greek translation, literally, out of the belly of Hades, I cried, and you heard my voice. Then down in 2.6, Jonah says this, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. That's underworld language. Yet you brought my life up from the pit. Again, underworld language, O oh Lord, my God. This is, this is all this Hades, shale underworld language. Jesus says, this is the sign that you will be given, that just like Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. See, just like Jonah, well, Jonah went to the edge of death. And came back. But Christ. Giving a greater fulfillment. Than Jonah possibly could. Actually died. And went in. To Sheol. Went into the heart of the earth. For three days. Next week we'll talk about the resurrection. We'll, we'll see that, that just as the whale. Could not hold on to Jonah. But vomited him out. So to Hades. Death itself would not be able to hold Messiah. Just as as darkness is is powerless against light, so too death was powerless against the light of the world. But but that's not the only words of Jesus that help us arrive at this doctrine. Now, Now think with me for a minute. If Christ did not descend into Hades when he died, where did he go? Uh, pretty much, the only other option is that he went to heaven, right? I mean, there's there's really nowhere else to go. That's the only other option that he went to heaven to the presence of the Father. But that does just doesn't fit with the scriptures and what they teach. Look at John twenty seventeen. Again, these are kind of like breadcrumbs, and we're going to see all these dots, and you'll see them start to connect as we as we look at this survey. John twenty seventeen. Now this occurs. After Jesus' resurrection, so he's on earth in his resurrected body. Look at what he says. He says this to Mary. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Christ died. He's put in the tomb and then was resurrected, and then tells Mary, I have not yet gone to the Father. So he can't have gone into heaven, into the presence of the Father, because he says that right here, I haven't done that yet. Now now again, each one of these texts is is not a full-blown systematic theology of Christ's ascent into Hades, but but it's a cumulative case. When we put them together, we can build this idea. So so that's, that's what Jesus has to say about it. One of the clearest texts on this subject comes in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Turn there, we'll be here for a little bit. Acts, chapter 2, starting in verse 22. This comes from Peter's speech on the day of Pentecost. The The disciples had been in the upper room. They had been waiting for the Holy Spirit come upon them. The Holy Spirit descended upon them. Peter was filled with the Spirit, and he began to preach to all the Jews around there. By the way, the, the Sunday school is going through the book of Acts right now at 9 a.m. on Sunday, so if you uh, are not taking part of that, I, I would encourage you to take advantage of that. Acts 2, Peter stands up. Now, this is kind of in the middle of this speech, but listen to what he says. because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now, now we'll we'll continue, but I want to comment on this. Notice this, first of all, the resurrection language. We talked about this a little bit last week. Resurrection is always being raised up. That's important because Hades, the underworld, is always beneath. So resurrection is not just coming back to life. It's being raised up twice in in this section we're looking at. And look at verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It's it's a weird phrase, the pangs of death. What does that even mean? Literally, one way you could translate it is, like, pangs is the same word they use for birth pains, which is kind of a strange word picture, but it it would give you the idea that that death is is like a, a, a... Pregnant mother at, at full term, she can't hold her baby. The baby's coming out. It's, weird. it's a weird word picture, but that kind of gives you the idea. Death could not hold Jesus in. had no power over him as it had over every other human who had died. This language is, again, which is strange, comes from Psalm 116. Listen to the similarities here. Psalm 116, 3 through 4. The snares of death encompassed me. It's this idea of being closed in upon by death. The, the pangs, there's that word, the pangs of Sheol. So it's not just death here, it's the underworld. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. In verse 8, the psalmist continues. For you have delivered my soul from death. And verse 9, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That is a prophecy of Christ's descent into Hades and his resurrection. So what Peter's alluding to here again when he says the pangs of death, it's not possible for Jesus to be held by death by Hades. It's exactly like the passage we saw in Jonah. The, the reason that it's not possible. Is because God had already foretold what was going to happen. Death could not hold the Christ. Death could not hold the God-man. He would not remain in Hades. But instead, he would be raised up in victory. But Peter answers this question for us. Why couldn't death hold Jesus? Look at verse 25. He cites another psalm. For David says concerning him. So he says, this psalm he's about to cite, Psalm 16, he said David says this about Jesus. What did David say? I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. What is Messiah's hope? For you will not abandon my soul to hades or let your holy one see corruption you have made known to me the paths of life you will make me full of gladness with your presence peter continues brothers i may say to you with confidence about the patriarch david that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day in other words david stayed dead being therefore a prophet And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would one day set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So why couldn't death hold Jesus? Peter's ample is, is simple. Because God has sworn an oath to David, that one day his descendant would be raised from the dead. His oath was that God would not abandon Messiah to Hades. Well, the, the implication is simple. If he would not be abandoned to Hades, if he would not be left in Hades, he had to go there first. It doesn't make any sense to say a Messiah wouldn't be abandoned, he wouldn't be left in Hades if he never went there in the first place. The whole point is that he would enter into the realm of the dead because he would actually die. But he wouldn't stay dead. God would raise him up in power and victory over death. His body would not see corruption. His flesh would not see corruption. In other words, he would not be dead very long. His body would not begin to decompose. Messiah was destined to die. He was, he was destined to enter into the realm of the dead. But He would not be left there. God would not abandon him there. He would be resurrected. God had sworn this in an oath and God never changes and he never lies. The true sign that Jesus was the Messiah was that he had conquered death. The next text I want to look at as we continue to kind of build this case, is Ephesians chapter 4. So we've we've seen what Jesus has to say. He says, I'll spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. We've seen what Peter has to say through David. Messiah would not be abandoned to Hades. We'll see later some more things Peter has to say, but first let's look at what Paul has to say. Ephesians 4, chapter chapter 4, verse 7. Ephesians 4, verse 7 through 10. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Here he cites Psalm 68. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And here Paul makes a parenthetical statement. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended? Into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who is also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now again, this passage is is primarily about the unity of the church because of our unity in Christ. It's about Christ's victorious ascension to the right hand of the Father, wherein he gave gifts to his church. Psalm quotes Paul quotes Psalm sixty eight which is a psalm of God's victorious conquest of his enemies. It's a psalm of God's entrance into his heavenly temple after he has completed the work of salvation. In the context of Ephesians, Paul is telling us this is Jesus Christ. By his death, he defeated not only our sin, but he defeated Satan and his legions as well. That's why we have this language that he he led the captives Think of of a great uh, Roman uh, parade after their victory, coming back into Rome. They led a train of captives, evidence of their victory over their enemies. The language the psalm is conjuring up. But but again, notice what Paul says in verse 9. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? Now, what is Paul talking about? There's basically two options. Either Paul's talking about the incarnation, so Christ's descent from heaven to earth, or he's talking about Christ's descent from earth to Hades, to Sheol. If you remember back to last week in in the Old Testament and what we saw, phrases like this, the lower... Regions, the depths of the earth, the foundations of the earth are always references to the underworld. Hades, Sheol. In fact, the Greek wordage of Ephesians 4 9 is almost identical to the the Septuagint, the Greek of Psalm 63 9. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. In other words, they will die. Underworld language. This is, this is why many, now, if you have a different translation, it makes a little bit of a difference here. Many translations translate that phrase in verse 9, the lower parts of the earth. More, more clearly bringing out the, the Sheol reference. But, but here what's clear in the context is Paul is making a contrast between Christ's glorious ascension to the highest of all heights. Right? He says he, who is, he has ascended far above all the heavens. and his descent to the lower parts, the lowest parts of all creation, which is not earth, it's Hades. We see this in another text in Paul that's, that's even more clear. You can see these, these ideas floating around in Paul's head. Philippians 2.10, he says that Christ will be exalted, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Well, Paul makes it even clearer in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 5 through 9. Listen to what he says. And again, listen to how similar this language is in Ephesians 4, and he kind of sheds some light on it for us. It says this starting in verse 5, chapter 10. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them. Beautiful text. Now again, Paul's not making an argument for Christ's descent into Hades here. He's he's making an argument that, that righteousness before God comes through faith alone. He's making the argument that God has done everything in salvation and that there's nothing left for us to do to earn it. He's making this illustration by saying, Look, you don't have to go up to heaven to bring Christ down to receive salvation. He's already come down. And furthermore, you don't have to go down into the abyss, which again is Sheol, Hades' language and bring Christ back from the dead. God has already done that. God has accomplished and done everything that is necessary for salvation so that Paul can conclude if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and raised that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is clear. Language, that when Christ was raised up from the dead, he was raised up from the abyss. And we are to believe that. That God raised him up, verse 9, from the dead, and you will be saved. You see, Christ descended to the realm of the dead, into the abyss, Paul says. But again... Death could not hold him. Death could not hold our king. Now, let's think about this from another angle as well. Think about this question. Who is responsible for the crucifixion? Well, we would say the the people who crucified him. The Romans, the Jews are kind of the ones who, who did it, right? We know that from the Bible. But but. Who orchestrated it? Now, again, we have various levels here. On one level, the humans did. The Jews, the Pharisees and Sadducees conspired to kill Jesus. We see that in the Gospels. They were the ones shouting, crucify him, crucify him. The Romans have responsibility. Acts 4 and Acts 2, actually, that we read earlier, says that this was a part of God's plan, though, So we get that piece in. But behind the human players, there's something a little more uh, nefarious going on. See, Scripture clearly teaches, and you can probably think of phrases in your head if you're familiar with the Gospels, that that Satan and his demons were the ones that were conspiring to get Jesus killed. Remember on the night before Jesus is betrayed, what does he say to Judas? It says that Judas went out and Satan entered into him to betray Christ. Satan was wanting Jesus to be killed. And then in 1 Corinthians 2, we get this strange verse where Paul says this about the crucifixion. He says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers, and the rulers here in 1 Corinthians is spiritual beings. He's talking about Satan and his demons. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, Satan and his demons would not have crucified Jesus if they realized that it would have destroyed and defeated them. I mean, that's just basic strategy. They clearly didn't know. Paul says it's a secret. It was the hidden wisdom of God. God used in his wisdom and his glory... He used Satan to accomplish his own destruction. So what did Satan think would happen when Christ died? He expected to hold Jesus' soul in captivity in Hades forever, like all of the humans. But he was greatly mistaken. The early church fathers talk about this. The, the, The language they use, they say that Jesus was like, uh, uh, a bait that Satan couldn't resist and he swallowed it down and destroyed him from inside you see the dots starting to connect I hope so now there's, there's one last big text on this that we need to get to and it's the, it's the most difficult one it's, it's the strangest one 1 Peter 3 18-22 through 22. So, go ahead and turn there because you're going to want to see what is going on in this text. And 1 Peter 3 18 through 22 is a notoriously difficult passage of scripture to interpret. Um, Martin Luther famously said about this text, he said, this is, I'm sure this is a great and encouraging text, but I have no idea what Peter's talking about. It, one, one scholar, as you're turning there, I'll, I'll tell you a story. One scholar I was listening to on, on 1 Peter 3 18 through 22. Tells a story. He, he was looking for a, a new church. He was in a new town. And so, you know, as, as a Bible scholar, he's, he's pretty picky about the church and the preaching uh, that, that he would sit under. And so he found this promising church, and he was excited because he saw that they were in a, a series of texts, uh, a, a series going through 1 Peter. They were getting close to 1 Peter 3, and so he had been a couple Sundays. He was excited. He was looking forward to it. Knowing what this text says, he was excited to see how the pastor handled it. Um, so he came to church that morning, pastor got up in the pulpit and said, you know, I was supposed to preach on 1 Peter three eighteen through 22, but I have no clue what it means, so we're just going to skip it. <laughs> and it's a true story. And needless to say, he was, he was very unimpressed, but it's a great illustration of kind of how enigmatic and, and strange this passage is, but, and it has been for me as well. Uh, I've wrestled with this text for years trying to kind of figure out what it's talking about. But here's the thing. After kind of walking through all these different texts, after seeing them in the light of Christ's descent, it it gets a little clearer. So let's walk through it and see if we can untie this knot. Once you understand this this idea that we've been talking about, it, it brings a little bit of light to this passage. So 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ... Also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Okay, we get that. Christ suffered once for sins on the cross. We learned that a couple of weeks ago when we looked at he was crucified, died, and buried. We understand that. He was put to death in the flesh. Okay, so his body died like that. We get that. He physically died. But, but being made alive or made alive in the spirit, you could translate that as well as made alive in spirit. In other words, in the in the spiritual realm, Christ was still existing. So what did he do? We'll look at verse 19. This is where it gets really strange. in which so so in the spirit, in in the spiritual realm, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. So Christ went somewhere and proclaimed to some spirits in prison. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, who are these spirits in prison? Where is this prison? What is, what is going on here? Verse 20 gives us a little more info. These spirits apparently, uh, they were in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Okay, so there's these spirits in prison who were disobedient in Noah's day. Well, who are these? Well, again, if you remember last week, Peter himself talks about spirits being in prison in 2 Peter. And in 2 Peter, these are the fallen angels who were disobedient in Noah's day that God has imprisoned until the day of judgment. This is what this text is talking about. The only other option is to say that, uh, and you have to do a lot of kind of fancy footwork to get here, that he's talking about humans that were alive on the earth in Noah's day. I used to think that's what this was talking about, but I don't think it is anymore. Christ went into Hades to proclaim something to these spirits in prison. What did he proclaim? It wasn't an evangelistic sermon. It was his victory over them. It was his victory through the crucifixion. Remember what we looked at in 1 Corinthians Satan and his team thought that they had won when they killed Jesus. They thought that they had conquered Christ. But instead, Christ invades their realm, not as defeated, but as triumphant, not as prisoner, but as conqueror. He he enters Hades as a conquering king and proclaims his victory. The doom of his enemies, the doom of these disobedient spirits who we saw in Revelation will spend eternity in the lake of fire after death and Hades are also thrown in there. We see this continuing in in verse 22. Let's look at verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, the ark, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. The resurrection of Christ. In other words, baptism is the, what connects you with Christ's victory. Who has gone into heaven? Jesus, and is at the right hand of God. Notice the language with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. There's his victory. Christ's descent was the beginning of his victory tour. After he died on the cross, he went and proclaimed his victory. In the underworld, then he was resurrected. He proclaimed his victory on earth. Then he ascended to the right hand of the Father and now sits and rules and proclaims his victory there. That's the pattern we see in this text. And if you look closely, it's the same pattern that we see in the Apostles' Creed. Verse 18, on the cross, he conquered sin and death. He paid for us with his own blood, reconciled God and man. He says, it is finished on the cross. Verse 19, he descends to the dead Verse 21, he's resurrected. Verse 22, he ascends to the right hand of the Father with all spiritual beings, having been subjected to his authority. And so now Christ can rightfully say the words that we find in Revelation 1, 17 through 18, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Faith, we saw in Romans 10. and baptism, we see in 1 Peter 3, two sides of the same coin. Connect us to Christ. Unite us to Christ so that his death becomes our death. His life becomes our life. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. And his ascension becomes our ascension. That's the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah. Let me kind of summarize all of this. I know, it's, it's like drinking water through a fire hose. Christ experienced death as all humans do. I think even growing up in the church, I, I oftentimes have thought of Jesus' death as, like, because I believe that he's truly God, that he, like, didn't really die a, a human death. But, but that's the mystery and the glory of the gospel. He did. He experienced death as all humans do. He was buried. His soul departed to the realm of the dead. In his descent, though, Christ achieved victory over death and over Hades. And because of his death on the cross and his victory over death, he has been crowned Lord over every realm. And every knee will bow, Paul tells us, in heaven and on earth under the earth as well. Christ now holds the keys. Christ in his descent to Hades proclaimed victory to all that were there. The wicked dead, the righteous dead, to the fallen angels. He liberated the righteous dead. He changed for all time where those who have faith in him will go when they die. We see in Hebrews... This could be a whole nother sermon. We see in Hebrews chapter 11 that, that those who died in faith in the Old Testament did not receive their inheritance. They didn't receive what they were promised yet because they were in shale. Christ changed that to where in Hebrews 12 the author can say that now they're in the throne room of God in Mount Zion worshiping with the angels. The death of Christ was the death of death. He conquered Death and Hades. Not not by avoiding them, but by invading them. Christ, Paul says in Ephesians 4, that we saw has now filled all of creation, all of, all every realm with his presence and with his sovereign rule. He has asserted his authority. Not just on the earth, not just in the heavenly realm, but in the underworld as well. He now has authority, and so he one day, Revelation tells us, after the final judgment, will take death and Hades itself and cast them into the lake of fire. Just as we saw in 1 Samuel 5, the presence of the ark in the temple of Dagon toppled and decapitated him. So too, the presence of Christ in Hades toppled and decapitated Satan's authority. like, Like the Israelites cowering before Goliath who was taunting them. So we too, without Christ, once cowered before the face of death which taunted us, held power over us, the power of fear, Hebrews 2 says. But like David, Christ our champion has gone out for us and has struck down death itself, forever destroying its power over us so that we no longer cower in the face of it. While we were powerless and fearful and full of sin, God did this for us. God saved us. God rescued us. Christ rescued us when we were helpless, slaves to death. That's why Revelation says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy. He is worthy of all of our worship, He is worthy of all of our devotion. He is worthy of all of our praise, all of our love, and all of our lives, brothers and sisters. Now, there are are many, 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 many applications and implications for this doctrine, but I I just want to make one. And and I want you to hear this, and my prayer is that God would just imprint this upon your heart and my heart your faith is in Christ, you no longer have to fear death. That's what we've been talking about. Do you understand that? Death no longer has any power over you. Those who die in faith in Christ no longer go to Hades. Go directly into the presence of God himself. Waiting the final glorious resurrection. For us, for you, if your faith is in Christ, death is but the doorway to eternal life. Paul says to be absent from the body, in other words, to die, is to be present with the Lord. Christ accomplished that. That was not always the case. So fear not, as Jesus says, brothers and sisters. You will face death. But you face it knowing that your Savior, Jesus Christ, has been there before you. He has pioneered the way through death into life on the other side. He tasted death for us so that we might have eternal life in Him. And and He is our great shepherd, amen? And though we walk... In the valley of the shadow of death, we need not fear any evil, nor even death itself. Because our good shepherd is with us. He does not lead us to wickedness, to evil, but he leads us to green pastures. He causes us to lie down by still waters, And he will shepherd us not only in our life, but in our death. He will never leave us or forsake us. Your faith is in Christ. You are united to the one who holds the keys of death and Hades. And who will one day cast them both into the lake of fire. So be comforted, Christian. Christ is with you now by his spirit and he will never leave you. As John declares in Revelation, blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. We will die physically, but we will live eternally, blessed in the presence of God. And one day, we'll talk about this next week, one day we will be resurrected physically to dwell on the new heavens and the new earth in the presence of God and of the Lamb forever, all eternity. No tears, no pain, no death, just Jesus. pastor gives a great illustration of this his name's Donald Barnhouse he, he his wife died tragically when she was relatively young and they had young children and he tells this story of as they they're driving the funeral his young children are with him in his car and he, this is what he says as he drove to his children as he drove his children to his wife's funeral he stopped at a traffic crossing Ahead of them was a huge truck. The sun was at such an angle that it it cast the truck's shadow across the snow-covered field beside it. Dr. Barnhouse pointed to the shadow and spoke to his children. Look at the shadow of that truck on the field, children. If you had to be run over, would you rather be run over by the truck or by its shadow? The youngest child responded first, as they always do. The shadow... It couldn't hurt anybody. That's right, Barnhouse said. And remember, children, Jesus let the truck of death strike him so that it could never destroy us. Mother lives with Jesus now. Only the shadow of death passed over her. You hear that? That is the truth. Christ destroyed. He broke the power of death so that now, Christian, when you die, you face just a shadow. It can't hurt you. Death is still a tragedy, even for believers. We mourn, but we don't mourn as those who have no hope. Death does not have the last word. Jesus does. And Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says, do you believe this? So my question to you is, do you believe this? If so, may you live like it. May you die like it. If you do not believe this, friend, your death will not pass over you like a shadow. The Bible teaches us that your death will lead to judgment. Those who die without faith in Christ, Jesus himself says, will die in their sins. But Christ himself paid the penalty for sin on the cross. He calls you now to repent and turn and place your faith in him and live. So I would urge you this morning, if your faith is not in Christ. Trust in the one who defeated death and you will find eternal life. Let's pray.